0: Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for insightful analysis and enlightening discussions. I'm Michael Bull, your host to the world of commercial real estate. Today, we're going to cover something of importance to everyone, and that is getting your stuff, right? Getting your stuff when you want it, where you want it, right? And, you know, in this Jetson society that that we live in today, you know, everyone wants their stuff. We want it when we want it, and we want it fast. Well, that's part of what's powering logistics and industrial real estate. So today we'll talk about logistics. We'll talk about the industrial real estate market. And please welcome my first guest. It's Ryan Severino. Ryan is senior economist with Reese and Reese covers the investment market and the performance of the commercial real estate markets all throughout the country. Ryan, thanks for joining us today.
1: Hello, Michael. Thanks for having me back. Always a pleasure.
0: We appreciate you calling in from uh, New York today. If you can just start us out, how has the U.S. industrial sector performed year-to-date this year?
1: You know, I would say that the industrial sectors had a pretty good run thus far in 2014. For uh, the warehouse distribution subsector, vacancies down to about 11.3%, which is a post-recession low. Vacancy continues to fall on a quarter-to-quarter basis, which is great. Rental growth continues to accelerate, with asking and effective rents both growing faster than 2% over the last 12 months. So all that's really good news, I'd say, for the flex R&D subsector. Vacancies down to thirteen point one percent, which is also a post-recession low. Rent growth ex- is accelerating here as well. Asking and effective rents both grew by about point six percent during the third quarter, which is, you know, easily the fastest pace that we've seen since the recession. So, on the fundamental side, we're we're really seeing fairly consistent improvement across both of the subsectors uh, through the third quarter of this year.
0: Are these improvements the best you've seen uh, in in how many years?
1: You know, at least since the recession. I mean, yeah. the recession really hit all property types, including industrial. But I would say this is uh, consistently the best performance that we've seen out of industrial since before the downturn.
0: Okay. And, and we all know these big warehouses are doing well, these distribution centers uh, for the online sales. But what about manufacturing? What's about some of the other types of industrial properties? What's, what's doing well and what's lagging a little?
1: You know, I'd say all of them are, are, are doing well to varying degrees. It's not universally consistent, but I'd say if you look at the major segments that we discussed, warehouse distribution, flex R&D, they're both performing well. I'd say even on the manufacturing side, we haven't seen as strong of a recovery as we've seen in the other subsectors. But even there, with the return of some manufacturing activity to the United States and then a lot of you know big companies that are interested in setting up, operations, especially in the right-to-work states in the South, we've definitely seen even a bit of a resurgence in the manufacturing subsector. So I'd say the high tide is raising all of the various subtypes of industrial properties right now. It might not be raising them all at exactly the same rate, uh, but it is uh, pretty much a driver of, uh, of all the subtypes right now. And I'd say that's largely attributable to the strength uh, of the economy thus far.
0: Okay. And what about geography? Is, is all the growth near the uh, ports and the major cities, what do you see there?
1: You know, generally I would say yes. The best performance that we've seen for warehouse distribution during this recovery uh, has predominantly been the big port markets, you know, like Los Angeles, uh, or the real big distribution markets, you know, like Chicago, Atlanta, places like that. The one caveat to that I would say is is somewhat interestingly, uh, we've seen Kansas City and Memphis uh... sometimes show up uh, let's say among the best uh... top five top ten best performing cities, and that's because they're both pretty well connected to air transport in in ways that they often are not competing with uh... civilian airliners for for competitive space in those markets and so uh... they've been a little bit surprising but it makes sense when you think about the air linkages that they have i mean at some point they're probably going to rename memphis fedex anyway so uh, i think that one makes sense but even kansas city has really strong linkages air transportation and not competing with a big civilian airport. And I'd say, you know, on the flex R&D side, you know, we've really seen the technology-oriented markets performing well, especially in places like Northern California. I mean, those, uh, those sub-markets with, with very tech-centric uh, tenants are, are definitely taking the lead there.
0: Okay. And is this improved performance? Is it limited to the, the larger assets and the larger properties, or are we seeing improvement also in some of the mid-size and, and smaller industrial facilities?
1: Uh, you know, I think it's akin to what we were we were talking about with the subtypes before. That the high tide is raising all of the ships, just not at exactly the same rate. So I would say that generally we are seeing an outperformance from the larger properties, and I, I think that's sort of breaks along class lines as well. We've seen class A space, which tends to be newer and larger generally outperforming the market and you know most of the construction recently that we've seen has been in these larger buildings. some of them those mega distribution centers so there's obviously a correlation there between the newness of the building uh, and and the class of the building so i would say even though uh, those larger properties charge less on a per square foot basis, their rents have been growing a little bit faster than the rest of the market, just because that's where we're seeing, uh, we're still seeing the concentration of demand these days.
0: Okay, and we're talking with Ryan Severino, Senior Economist with Reese, and we're talking about industrial real estate in the U.S. And, Ryan, what do you expect moving forward? I mean, uh, this is all good news. Uh, Should this continue, uh, this growth uh, with rates and occupancy?
1: I say yes. Uh, We expect, you know, For both warehouse distribution and flex R&D, the vacancy rates will continue to fall. And at an accelerating rate, we also expect that rental rates will continue to grow at an accelerating rate. So I'd say, you know, as the economy continues to expand, which you know we we definitely feel favorable favorable about that for the balance of this year and then on into 2015. I think industrials really poised well to benefit from this. So I'd say over the next few years, we expect vacancy for warehouse distribution to fall probably you know somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 basis points overall, while, while rents grow you know, maybe 25 to 3% uh, per year over that interval, I'd say, for flex R&D. Probably uh, a fall-in vacancy of about 170, 180 basis points over the next few years. Uh, while well, we expect rents to grow by, by a little bit less than warehouse distribution, maybe more like two to two and a half percent per year over that horizon. But I think both uh, subsectors will see rents grow in excess of inflation. I'd say that's that's good news for investors and landlords.
0: Yeah, that's very good news. I think they're all they're doing the Snoopy dance right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, what how are new deliveries impacting the market? Uh, you know, it seems like we didn't have any new construction for a while in the downturn, and, it, and it's picked up uh, as industrial really picked up? What are the levels you see?
1: Yeah, I, I would wholeheartedly agree with that. I'd say on, on the warehouse distribution side, you know, we expect somewhere in the neighborhood, you know, in the major markets that we track somewhere in the neighborhood of probably about 65 million square feet of, of space to come online this year, maybe say another 55 million for next year. So that's, that's a significant escalation relative to where we were just a few years ago, where the market was probably building, you know, more like 20 to, to 30 million or so. Uh, square feet per year and and even on the flex r&d side obviously that's not as big of a market and i I would i would argue that's probably not as hot as warehouse distribution right now but even there you know we probably expect to see about three and a half million million square feet developed this year maybe another five million or so next year in our major markets and that again that's a ramp up from where we've been over the last few years where the market was maybe building one to three million square feet per year something like that
0: yeah, and that's good news for industrial, and that's good news for for jobs and everything else. So, this 55 million to 65 million a year of, of new delivery. How does that compare to pre-recession years? Are we back you to know, it, the good old days or
1: <laughs> We're not quite back there yet. I would say you know, we're we are definitely trending in the right direction, but we're we're not quite as frothy as we were before the downturn but you know this is the one property type that i think uh, except for maybe apartments which were we are already at the stage where uh, construction is is is, you know reaching historical levels uh, this is probably the next property type where we're going to see uh, construction activity start to push uh, those pre-recession highs again so while we're not quite there yet uh, there is uh, there's a significant chance uh, that sometime over the next few years that we start to push back toward those levels.
0: Okay. And how much of this new space, uh, this new construction is spec is speculative that you know they don't have tenants for it yet.
1: You know, it really differs from market to market. I'd say in some markets Especially with uh, some of these sort of mega distribution centers, it, it's fairly speculative. I'd, I'd say, uh, you know, in, in some of those, in some markets around the country, we're seeing the majority uh, of space, or at least a significant percentage of space, without kind of pinning it down to the decimal point. Be speculative, because I do think this is the one property type where people do feel relatively optimistic about the fortunes. You know, I, I would say apartment had been the property type for the last few years where you were more inclined to see spec development. I'd say this is probably the next property type in line where you're going to see more of that so there are some markets around the country where we're seeing you know virtually no new spec development but then there are uh, some interesting pockets of activity sometimes off the beaten path in ways that you wouldn't expect where we are seeing fairly significant uh, speculative development so I'd say it really varies but but more I think uh, than we've seen in the last few years and, and uh, again, maybe with the one exception uh, of apartment, more than we're definitely seeing in other property types right now.
0: Yeah. That's interesting because, you know, we, we all want our stuff fast, don't, it? don't we? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and we've got to have the the warehouse. We've got to have the dis- distribution, I can't say the word today, uh, <laughs> space and we've got to have it, uh, more of it, don't we?
1: Absolutely. I, I'd say that, that is a trend that, I mean, that's really Pandora's box. We are We are not closing that. I mean, I myself just purchased something uh, on Monday night that's going to show up at my house uh, sometime today or tomorrow. I mean, it doesn't get too much faster than that. At some point, we'll move to 24-hour delivery, but uh, we're not quite there yet. But still, a couple days is is pretty darn good in 2014. It is fast. Well,
0: stay with us. We'll have more from Ryan Severino. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit BullRealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Hey, today we're talking about industrial real estate and we're talking about logistics. And next we're going to talk about investment sales market. We have Ryan Severino, senior economist with Reese with us. And, and Ryan, let's talk about the investment market. You know, What do you see for sales volume in the industrial sector and, and how does it compare to the last several years? Is it really picked up?
1: Uh, sure. You know, the one caveat before we get into this, I would say, is you know, we're still getting some transaction volume in uh, for the third quarter. But uh, I would say transaction volume continues to crease, increase over time this year. You know, we're we're on about track to do about the same performance as last year, which is which is billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars in escalation from where we were just a few years ago. The one thing that I would say though is that, however, um, if the rumored purchase of incore by gic which is the big uh, singaporean sovereign wealth fund from blackstone is actually true that's a huge development for the market anytime you see an eight billion dollar portfolio sale occur uh, in my mind that would be a very very strong signaling mechanism to the market that 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 this is maybe the next property type that that's ready to sort of take the baton from apartment as the most favored property type going forward. So I, I think uh, I'm waiting to get confirmation of that deal. But if that goes through, that is a very, very strong signal, I think, to the rest of the marketplace.
0: Yeah, it would be. I mean, $8 billion here, $8 billion there. Pretty soon you're talking about real money, right? Really? <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, industrial market is is hot. And uh, so how is it how is it trending compared to other property types? Uh, you mentioned, you know, multifamilies have been hot. Uh, what do you see in comparison to the other sectors?
1: I'd say it has actually been outperforming other property types. Uh, we could actually see some declines in transaction activity relative to last year for some of the other property sectors. I think even with apartment, you're seeing some... That, you know, marginal cooling off. I don't think people are, are, are disavowing apartment altogether, but I do think the bloom is off the rose a little bit these days. Uh, but I think, you know, looking at improving performance and market fundamentals that we discussed, that's really causing investors to increasingly train their sites on industrial. And I think, you know, again, I, I do think it probably is the property type that's ready to step up and take that baton uh, from apartment as, as sort of the, the darling of commercial real estate over at least the next couple of years.
0: And is some of that, that volume and some of that interest in industrial over multifamily, is some of that based on, on yields, on, on cap rates? What are you seeing for cap rates on some of these industrial properties compared to, to what's, what's been hot multifamily?
1: You know, not surprisingly, cap rates continue to compress. Uh, the, the mean cap rate, the sort of average cap rate that we see in the market, that continues to drift downward, really following the pattern that we've seen from the last few years. So I'd say, you know, overall cap rates are, are probably in the sevens, but we are definitely seeing... Lower cap rates for higher quality assets and better markets so i 'd say you know we 're not seeing cap rates test sort of the same lows that we 're seeing in apartment, which are nearing uh, historically low levels, but the recovery in apartments started earlier than it is in, industri- did, in did in industrial, so i wouldn 't expect it to be at those levels just yet, but again, I do think this is the property type where there is really good potential not just for improvement in fundamentals but you know cap rate compression and, and increase in values going forward
0: well, that's quite a considerable increase in yield then if you're if you're getting in the sevens for uh, industrial properties because uh, what are uh, multifamily uh, you know yields running now on average
1: yeah in the fives yeah. and I would say in the really good markets uh, you know New York, San Francisco places like that we are still seeing deals go off at two three four but you know even a spread of a couple hundred basis points uh, given where industrial is in its recovery cycle versus where apartment is i think there's room for that to compress because i think over the next few years you will see cap rate compression for apartments really stall out and then probably start to drift upward over the medium term where i think on the industrial side i think the marketplace has longer for that cap rate to compression to continue to occur. And so I think you will see that spread between the two property types narrow a bit even uh, further as we go forward for the next few years.
0: Yeah, and that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, with, with online sales continuing to increase, I mean, that's a big benefit for industrial real estate, isn't it? And it's going to, should create investor interest uh, in the sector.
1: Absolutely. And as, I, as I'm fond of saying when I'm talking about this this property type, Industrial doesn't care through what channel goods are being sold, right? Industrial doesn't care so much if it's being sold via a storefront or if it's being sold via the browser on your computer or an app on your smartphone. All that matters is those goods need to be stored somewhere and then ultimately be distributed. So from the industrial market's point of view, any acceleration in in consumption and sales activity is a benefit for the sector.
0: All right, so if you looked in your crystal ball, I know you have one, right? (laughs) Look into the future, Ryan. What do you expect to see for cap rates on industrial properties for the next year or two?
1: You know, I expect to see cap rates to continue to drift downward over the next few years. Uh, I would say, you know, we shouldn't expect the same kind of cap rate compression that we've seen over the last few years but you know a drift lower at least another 30 to 50 basis points over the next few years is a completely reasonable expectation to have. I'd say congruent with this we expect values to continue to rise. NOI growth uh, is actually expected to accelerate uh, which you know will, will be a benefit for cap rate declines. So I think if you think about increased NOI growth and some minor cap rate compression you are going to see increases in valuations over the next few years. And so I'd say uh, for owners of, of industrial, this is a good time to be holding. I'd say for anyone who's considering investing, you know, we're, we're still in the early stages of a recovery here, so I wouldn't say uh, you've missed the boat completely, but the boat is definitely leaving the dock.
0: And what do you say to someone that says that's two very big positives, right? Increase NOI, uh, decrease in cap rates, but what about interest rates? If we have a uh, 100 basis points increase uh, in the interest rates over the next year. How could that impact those uh, values?
1: The, the good news is, you know, in the short term, it shouldn't make much of an impact because mm-hmm. if you look at what really moves cap rates, uh, it tends to be growth in or, or change, I should say, absolutely, change in NOI and risk premiums that really move cap rates and then to a lesser extent, interest rates. So as long as the economy is improving, NOIs are growing, and investors still feel confident about the property type to the point where risk premiums are at least stable, if not actually compressing a little bit, then that should actually cause cap rates to continue to go down. Where things start to reverse is if we start to see the economy slow down at some point in the next, say, I don't know, three to five years, and then OI growth starts to slow down and turn negative, and then investor sentiment starts to turn against commercial real estate, including industrial, that's when there could be some cap rate expansion. So I would say one to three years, you know, not so much of a concern. Three to five years is a little bit murkier. So I'd say short-term hold, long-term hold, you're probably pretty good. Medium-term hold, you need to sharpen your pencil and, and make sure that the deal you're, you're doing is, is one that's really worth investing in because there is a significant risk over the, that you know three to five years from where we are today. Uh, that we do run into another recession, and that certainly would not be good for cap rates.
0: Okay. we're talking with Ryan Severino, senior economist with Reese, about the industrial market. And Ryan, so where do you see opportunities around the U.S.? I mean, you guys are looking at the performance numbers. You're looking at the cap rates on these uh, different types of properties around the country. Where might there be some opportunities for investors and developers?
1: You know, there are a couple areas that I think are interesting. Number one, I would say, uh, over time, more and more port markets on the East Coast are really gearing up for the widening of the canal. I think uh, even over the last year or so, we've seen more markets really become ready for that. I know they still have some development to do uh, in infrastructure at the ports themselves, but the ports are, are, in terms of uh, dredging the canals deep enough and, and, you know, really expanding, I think think that is a greater number than, than, you know, I've discussed in the past. Um, I, I would also say that there is this trend toward large buildings. That's not; it doesn't really show any sign of abating. And, and you know, they're a little bit off the beaten path. They're not in the best port submarkets. They're not even in the best uh, submarkets for the big intermodal distribution hubs. You know, Dallas, Fort Worth, Chicago, Atlanta. And so, I, I'd say as long as you know, and we've been discussing this, uh, this is Pandora's box. As long as e-commerce continues to rise there will be demand for those kinds of centers. And so I'd say, at least in the short to medium term, I think there's a lot of opportunity for investment and development
0: there. Uh, Ryan, thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for more on the Commercial Real Estate Show on logistics and industrial real estate. The Commercial Real
1: Estate Show is brought to you in part by Florida International University. With FIU's Fast
0: Track system, you can earn your master's in real estate in just 10 months without interrupting your career. Visit FIUonline.com to learn more. That's FIUonline.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us today. Today we're talking about the industrial market and we're talking about logistics. Please welcome my next guest here in Studio One with me. We have Annie Baxter. She's Director of Georgia Department of Economic Development. Annie, thanks for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having
0: me. We also have Paige Siplon. He's program director at the Georgia Centers of Innovation, and I would call him a logistics expert. Thanks for having me, Michael. You know, we've just heard from uh, Ryan Severino how hot the industrial market has really become, and in part from online sales and, and the quick delivery of products to the consumers all over the country. Let's put the importance of logistics in perspective here. How much of the cost of consumer goods is related to the cost to move the goods around?
3: Sure. Logistics has really become, has always been a big bottom line factor for, for supply chain and for consumers that are moving moving products to their customers. Um, you know, w- what we see is that logistics and supply chain, transportation, a few different things you can call it, it for most companies represents about 10% of total revenue. Um, so every 10 cents out of the dollar goes towards some sort of logistics function. That number can get up into the 40 or 50% range when we look at pharmaceuticals or cold chain type products. It's a much higher percentage of their total cost. Of that, Of that operational cost, you know, 50 or 60 percent can just be from fuel alone, just as an example. So there's a lot of factors that go into moving the products. uh, And I think companies are realizing that more and more.
0: Yeah. And logistics has become really important, hasn't it? I mean, Uh, As we were just talking uh, earlier, I mean, you know, when I order something on my, I'll grab up my my phone and I want to order it. I want it now, right? Yeah. And that's made logistics become very important. And and you being Mr. Logistics, you become the pretty girl at the dance, right? Yeah,
3: yeah. I'll take what I can get. (laughs)
0: There you go. Well, how are online sales
3: impacting the world of logistics? Uh, It's crazy, isn't it? I think in a word, it's completely impacting logistics. Logistics is changing 100% of what it used to be. You know, this isn't your, your grandfather's supply chain anymore we like you said we want to be able to order that hammer from home depot at two in the morning in our pajamas and we might also want our initials engraved on it as well so you know customization being able to have it on demand you know just in time is an automotive sort of term but it's changing the way we we as consumers demand our products yeah
0: and I would never use a hammer that did not have my initials on it uh, that's mean. why I brought it up yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you saw my hammer out did. front did yeah. you okay and and what about the speed of this delivery it seems like you know two three day delivery is, is not what people want anymore right people want it now
3: it's, it's really speeding up. Uh, really, we, we see Walmart and Amazon start talking about predictive logistics, where they sort of analyze all the information and big data they collect on us and, and be able to predict what we're going to order. If we order a hammer, yeah, we think you're going to order nails, but it's a lot more complicated. But it's getting faster and faster. Same-day delivery, um, and the list goes on.
0: And how's, is this demand for the mega size facilities still growing? I mean, we hear these these major deals, over a million square feet. Uh, is this still growing? Is there still going to be more needs for those kind of facilities, Annie?
2: I say yes, and in particularly Mm -hmm. due to e-commerce, Jones Lang LaSalle estimates Mm -hmm. that 30% of the industrial big box demand is due to e-commerce and fulfillment right now. So you're certainly continuing to see that growth.
3: Yeah. And those facilities are just larger. I mean, you think about the e-fulfillment that uh, handles a hard very large number of SKUs. You know, a Walmart e-fulfillment center might have 100,000 SKUs. That can be almost triple the amount of products you'll find in a in a regular store. A SKU being an individual, you know, barcode type item. Yeah. Um, and they got to be able to have that wider array of things it just takes more space and a lot more people to move it.
0: Yeah. And you help a lot of these companies with site selection and when you're building a building that's over a million square feet, especially these these types of centers because you need more more parking, more truck courts, you need a big flat piece of land. Are, are these companies having trouble finding uh, properties that are suitable in, in the locations where they want to be?
2: I think what we're finding is that the need to be close to population centers has driven uh, developers to have to look at being creative and doing more adaptive reuse and redevelopment and infill. There's an example here in the metro Atlanta market where Rooker Uh, an Atlanta-based developer hasn't acquired a closed mall, Shannon Mall, and they're going to develop 1.1 million square feet of space. And that's, so that's a creative use of in-town space because of the need for these facilities to be close to their customer base. So you're looking at a trend toward being creative and positioning the right location versus going further out to traditional industrial land that's already zoned, but not as close to population centers.
0: Yeah, and I think that is a great reuse for a lot of these dead malls around the country. What's uh, interesting though, I think about that deal is getting the neighborhoods and the government there to agree to that because they all think, oh no, we, we want another nice retail development here and in some cases it's just not going to happen so uh, how do do you get these government uh, entities to understand that uh, and and get a deal like that done
2: absolutely so in that case this is Union City Mm -hmm. and um, kudos to the local community Mm -hmm. as well as Rooker for really coming together getting together at the table with the local leadership with the mayor with the city council they were able to look at what these potential job growth numbers could be for this reuse. And that really gets the community on board. And that's a great point, Michael. When you look at these infill opportunities, there's always got to be a public-private partnership, it seems, to really make the deal work. And certainly in this case, it seems that's what has happened.
0: Okay, well, stay tuned. We'll have more on the industrial market and logistics. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by France Media france media provides exposure to the world of commercial real estate visit france media Inc. Dot com or call 404-832-8262 welcome back to the commercial real estate show i'm michael bull thanks for being with us Today we're talking about logistics, and we're talking about industrial real estate. Our guests are Miss Site Selection, Annie Baxter, and Mr. Logistics, Paige Siflon. And, Annie, let's talk about states and, and municipalities and how they're winning business today. You know, how are these states winning these, these big deals today?
2: First of all, Michael, I think the most important thing to note is that the most successful states are trying to act like a business in order to win business. So you're, you look at incentives packages that are being developed, that are customized and creative, and they're developed on a case-by-case basis. You're talking about the most successful states have put programs in place that can be flexible um, and meet the client's needs rather than uh, just have an off-the-shelf solution.
0: Yeah, and that's important. And what are some example incentive packages that you've seen lately where states have won big deals?
2: Sure. So, you know, the typical things are offsets for corporate income tax. So you have job tax credits, sales and use tax exemptions on racking um, equipment that goes into a warehouse. And then also you have your training programs. So an example of a training program that's in Georgia's Quick Start. Quick Start provides free customized training to companies who are looking to establish a new operation here. Uh, Bass Pro established a state of the art warehousing distribution center in Macon, Georgia. And they needed to be able to train their workforce while the facility was being built. Quick Start training then traveled to Missouri. They met with the company and they created a virtual distribution center using animations, using video and multimedia technology. So they were able to train those workers while the facility was being constructed so that on day one when the doors opened, that facility was ready to to get going and move quickly.
3: Yeah, it, it's about partnerships, you know, incentives at the end of the day are about reducing that bottom line, the impact that, that company's going to have on them when they move to a new location or, or select a new site. And, and I think what we see across the board, we mentioned partnerships a couple times. That's key. Companies, you know, they're looking for that bottom line to improve, but eventually cash that might be put into a deal, that's going to run out. And that partnership, um, being a best state for business, being acting like a business, as Annie mentioned, those are key. Those are long-term uh, incentives that, um that are are things that I think businesses are looking for more and more. It's why the states that are winning those businesses have those kind of personalities, if you will.
0: Yeah. And I think some people wonder why they're not drawing these, these businesses to their, their areas and their, their cities and their states. Uh, and what are the, the basic things uh, for some of those listeners that are drawing these companies? Uh, I mean, you have uh, the, the airports, right? And you have the, the population there. You have the, the, the employees. and the, the what else, What's the basic things that draw these companies? You have the utilities, the power, right?
2: Absolutely. So, a company is having to take a look at typically a 10-year P&L to layer in incentives, but then also figure out what are your long-term operating costs. And sometimes labor can be 80% of that. So, finding quality and available labor tends to rise to the top of the list for criteria. And even for warehousing distribution, particularly with e-commerce, we're seeing that those type companies are really interested in quality and availability because this is a a large long-term cost because you do have a higher headcount in these e-commerce fulfillment facilities Mm -hmm. because the work is more hands-on. And then also that ability to identify surge labor and uh, to be able to have a quality-trained workforce. So have that partnership locally with your technical college, with your university system, and with the state in order to provide training that will train the workers in the beginning and then stay with the company as they grow.
0: How important are the airports?
3: Airports are key for mm-hmm. two, two places. One, moving people in and out. Yeah. We talked about the global economy. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to be able to move people to further and more places than we ever have before as a company. And also from an air cargo perspective, it, for certain industries more than others. The other thing I would add just on the logistics and uh, something to think about is, um, you know, that these companies need to really think about their, um, their, their long-term investment in logistics. And mm-hmm. it's not necessarily just a cost. A lot of times we have companies ask us, okay, well, what's it going to cost for me to move my products from here to here? And that cost is very important. We talked about bottom line, Um, but it's, you got to think about total landed costs, right? And that reliability can be a very important factor and can cost you more than just a a truckload move, if you will. So you need to think about more of a total landed cost. Think about the entire supply chain as they decide on a supply chain, incorporate the airports, think about the ports, think about what your business does as an operator and what kind of transportation modes you're going to need and incorporate them into your site selection plan.
0: Okay. So let's say I have a a company and I'm looking for a location somewhere in the U S what are tips to help me through that process and to make the right choices.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, first off, I think it, from a logistics point of view to start, um, we, we talk to companies about they, they always want to be they want to do it faster, they want to do it better and they want to do it cheaper. Um, I would sort of build on that last point, do it reliably. Mm-hmm. The companies and the that need to have reliable supply chains are going to be a more cost effective supply chain for their bottom line. Mm-hmm. Um, and the states, there are some states that can provide that reliability across many of those modes. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one thing to look at from a logistics point of view. Uh, think about reliability.
0: And How about the site selection? What are some tips there?
2: Absolutely. So again, you're looking at the, the big picture, the view of um, number one, the logistics have to make sense. Mm-hmm. And then number two, what, are, what is your largest long-term cost and how can you best reduce that cost? And that's where companies are finding the balance between the cheapest location, the one that makes sense for business, and then layering in those incentives to, to make the best. Because often the cheapest location isn't the best location.
3: Long-term investments.
0: What's the biggest mistake you see companies make in site selection?
2: Um,
3: not do the things we mentioned, right? <laughs> N- not to really incorporate or, or bring your logistics, your, your chief logistics officer, if, you, uh, if they have one. We see that coming up more and more. Have them incorporated into the solution. Uh, what we find is they pick a site because it works for X number of reasons, but then they're, they're losing their shirt because they haven't thought about logistics as fully as they, as they need to, and there's, there's probably other reasons as well. Yeah.
2: I'd say a lack of focus on long-term costs versus immediate gratification of big incentives. It's hard to turn down that
3: cash. You're right. There's a lot of other incentives. That
0: yeah, out there. that's very important. Your business can probably be around 20, 30, maybe 100 years, Hopefully. right? Yeah. Uh, or at least you hope so. Yeah, that's right. Well, stay tuned. We'll have more on logistics and industrial real estate. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by Realnex, providing a comprehensive suite of powerful commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low cost. Visit realnex.com. That's R-E-A-L-N-E-X. Welcome back, I'm Michael Bull and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today we're talking about industrial real estate and we're talking about logistics. My guests are Mr. Logistics, Paige Siplon, and we have Miss Site Selection, Annie Baxter. Appreciate you guys being with us today. And uh, we have a lot of developers and, and, uh, and, and listeners out there that, that work in the development world and uh, construction and, and uh, advisory. How are developers winning business today? What are some tips?
2: I would say that in this market, uh, one thing to consider is the trend back toward being closer into Metro Atlanta has shown that developers who've had the time, taken the time to be creative in finding these in-town opportunities. And one example is Majestic Real Estate put together a, a piece of property for Procter & Gamble and in this situation, they had to even buy a church in order to make it work. So, again, that's a very creative solution. But most of the most successful developers seem to be really driven by having the right sites. And sometimes that means getting really creative in order to get those sites in place.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. We had um, Larry Callahan with Patillo on the show um, recently. And he uh, talked about how many sites they, they own and that they control. So they have some great sites. So that that's a good one. Any other tips for for developers uh, to win business?
2: Sure, I'd say don't overlook the opportunity for public-private partnerships. Mm -hmm. Also, there's an opportunity for, that we've seen some developers in this area, pre-negotiate incentives. So Mm -hmm. their development has a pre-negotiated tax abatement that's in place that they can market to their tenant prior to any lease being signed. And that's a really creative solution because in the past, you've typically had those real and personal property tax relief proposals come in after a tenant is in hand. So having that pre-negotiated and in place and having worked locally to determine what are the offsets for permitting and streamlining that process for a potential tenant as well is kind of a value add and an icing on the cake type thing for a developer to offer on the front end.
0: That's a great tip and especially the time saving as well uh and a lot of times time is money right sure. All the time. what are some of the trends you guys see um in logistics and and uh today?
3: Well, yeah, there's quite a few. It's it's an exciting growing industry. Mm -hmm. One of the ones we talked about before was Mm -hmm. e-commerce. One of the things driving e-commerce is this world of Mm omnichannel. It's a fancy word to saying, you know, multi-ways to order your products. Mm -hmm. Uh, We want to be able to get it through the internet. We want to be able to order it, you know, over the phone and and through a retail store and a brick and mortar. So omnichannel logistics and all that it means to our supply chains, uh, both on the industrial real estate side, but also on the supply chain provider side is going to be a big trend growing. We see that market growing. e-commerce B2C e-commerce market is about a 1.5 trillion dollar business and growing about five times the pace of brick-and-mortar retail. So it's, it's going to be a big player more than it even is today. Um, the other one is the, you know, the creative use of rail um, and intermodal intermodal means shifting between truck and rail using multiple modes we talked about airports uh, as well using multiple modes of, of transportation um, and really sharpening your pencil to take advantage of all the different modes that are out there and the last one is uh, we're going to see and this is sort of a, a plus and a minus the the increase in that volume means there's gonna be more trucks and really, that means more truck drivers. Mm-hmm. and that's a really big that's a really great opportunity because it means more volume moving, bigger warehouses, more um, productivity for the for the states that they're in. But the trucking industry has had about a hundred to one hundred and ten percent turnover rate for many, many years, meaning that they're losing more people than they're bringing in. so it's a it's a sinking ship, and we've got to be able to figure out how to retain and and keep those truck drivers. Um, with some of those companies if that if that volume is going to continue to grow well i'm here
0: i have a pickup truck so maybe sure. i can well, i'll help. make sure i call you next time i get to work best. <laughs> i can help well guys what an interesting uh, subject today thanks for joining us today we appreciate uh, you being with us Thanks for having us.
2: Thank you for having us.
0: And if you like more information on logistics or on site selection, both their websites and social media contacts and phone numbers will be on our site at CommercialRealEstateShow.com. We'll also have some video versions of this show, so if you're listening to this show on one of the radio stations, the 40 stations around the country, be sure to check out CommercialRealEstateShow.com. And then next week we'll have a show on retail, the wild and woolly world of retail real estate. So uh, stay tuned and see us next week. And be sure you lead, learn, and laugh. And join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty Commercial Brokerage, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com. RealNex, a comprehensive suite of powerful commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low price. Visit realnex.com. That's R E A L N E X. Sozo Web Hosting and Cloud Solutions. Secure, reliable, and worry free. Visit Sozo.com. That's S O Z O.com. FIU, Florida International University. Earn your master's in real estate online in as little as 10 months. Visit FIUOnline.com. And by France Media, providing exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit FranceMediaInc.com. For more information on these great companies or for additional podcasts, videos, or blogs, visit CREshow.com.